And uh, I think some of my children might be coming up here. A little picture coming up. Yep, that's my three children. That is Jacob. He's the tallest. He's uh, nearly eight and a half. That's Isaac. He's just gone six. And that is Anna. And she was three two weeks ago. I think there's one more picture coming up. And, oh, yep, there we are. That's in Durham. It was a very, very windy day. And we've got a new addition to our family, which I'm extremely excited about. And I think he's coming up. Yep, there he is. That's, um, that's Rolo Rabbit. He's, <laughs> he's my uh, latest baby. He was meant to be for Anna's birthday, but, but really is for me. So, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I live over in Burnett Field, but I come from um, a small village called Long Newton. It's even less exciting place than Burnett Field. I think it's got a school and a pub. Did at one point have a post office, but it shut down. So that place is called Long Newton, and that is uh, in Teesside. So that is where I grew up with my parents and my brother, who's a little bit older than me. I didn't grow up being um, part of a church. Kind of my only experience of church was a very traditional um, visit with the brownies, with our little church parade up and down, and our nice brown outfits left. Hope you didn't have to go back for a very long time. That was my entire experience of God. I think the only Christian I'd ever heard of was Terry, Re- Terry Waite and Harold on Neighbours. Um, <laughs> that was my whole overview of the Christian faith. And when I was in secondary school, my best friend's dad was a vicar. I thought that was a little bit strange, but I liked her anyway. We got on really well, and we ended up stuck next to each other on a coach for about nine hours going to France on a school trip, and we got to know each other really well. And over the year, over the year, um, kind of have conversations in RE about, do you believe in God? And I was like, no. And she was like, yes. And I was like, okay. And after a little while, I was kind of getting a tiny bit curious. And when we came back for our summer holidays at the start of year eight, I said, what, what have you done over the summer? And we chatted about it, and I told her what I'd done, and she told me what she'd done. And she said she'd been on this um, camp, and that there had been loads of um, fit lads, I think was the exact phrase she used, which at, my, which at this point, my ears pricked up, and I was like, oh, tell me more. And uh, she said, I said, did you go with your parents? She's like, no. I was like, tell me more. I was like, how did you get to go on holiday without your parents? So she explained to me about this camp she'd been on, and all I could think was, how do I get to go on this camp? <laughs> like, this was my mission. And she, I said, can I go? And she goes, no, you can't go. I went, why? She goes, you don't go to church. I was like, <laughs> right. So kind of about six months passed, and I think I'm probably on a weekly basis, thought, how can I get on, how can I go on this camp without going to church? What can I do? And then it got to January. I think I was about, yeah, I was about 13. It got to January and I just rang her up one day, one night. I think it was a Saturday night. I rang her up and went, I'm coming to your church tomorrow. She went, all right. I was like, see ya. So I went to her church and um, I had a really good time. Didn't have to sit in for the service. I got free biscuits. Um, they used to take us out on a Friday night. I was probably the most annoying teenager to ever have to take out on a Friday night. But bless them, they still took me out on a Friday night. And I loved it. And so that's kind of how I started going to church. And I went on this camp and someone said to me, oh, you've been coming to church for a while now. Would you, um, would you like to give your life to Jesus? And I was like, what? I had absolutely no idea what this woman was talking about. I was like, yeah. <laughs> Bit of a people pleaser. like, yeah. So she got really excited and told everyone and people started giving me cards. And I was like... <laughs> so I kind of went along with it. I thought, oh well, everyone likes this. This is good. This is good. So, um, so I went to church, but I wasn't a Christian. So I went to church for about two years and um, didn't have any kind of personal relationship with Jesus. And when I was oof, about 15, 
I went on a camp down in Bishop Auckland called Harvest. Has anyone ever been to Harvest? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Back in the day. So, excuse me. So I went to Harvest and um, I met my husband there. He, he liked me. I didn't like him. So he wrote to me for a, he wrote to me for a year, and then I was like, "Yeah, go on. I'll go out with you." And here we are, 19 years later. But anyway, at Harvest, that's also the place where I became a Christian. So I was in the evening meeting one night and everyone was like proper into it, speaking in tongues, hands in the air. And I was just like, first of all, I thought it was a bit weird. But then kind of like as the evening went on, the Holy Spirit was clearly at work in my life. People were praying for me and I was standing there in the presence of God and people were meeting with God. And it was the first time I'd kind of had this overwhelming idea that these people knew God for themselves in a really they really knew God. And I thought, do you know what? I want to know God. I, I, I want this kind of relationship with God, but I didn't know how to have that kind of relationship with God. And um, the guy who was speaking that night, he, um, he got up and he said, there's, um, there's people here and you feel incredibly heavy and your mouths are on fire. And that was me. I felt like I had a suit on and it was made out of lead. I felt like my mouth was like like I was seriously allergic to something like it was burning and then he said if that's you I want you to come down the front and I want to pray for you so I went down the front I didn't even think about it did not even think about it I just started walking down I couldn't even walk properly I was like <laughs> so I like did this probably very very comical walk down the front and people started praying for me and I was just on the floor out in the spirit just completely filled with the Holy Spirit, crying, laughing, speaking in tongues. I'd like gone from zero to a hundred in the space of like five minutes. And God, some people, have, some people are very cynical about people. It's kind of, oh, well, you fill the Holy Spirit, and then what difference does it make in your life? Well, that was the turning point of the time when I suddenly I got up from that place, age 15, and I thought, do you know what? That had to be God. It could not have been anything else. So everything that these people who I can see it at work in their life, what they're telling me must be true. So I want that for myself. And I left there and I went away and I started reading my Bible. I started praying. God started working on my character, started changing my life. And he started speaking to me about what he wanted to do with my life. And every time, you know, he kind of like God has a theme. Well, God's theme for me that he kept speaking to me about was he kept speaking to me about the fact that he wanted me to speak. So, uh, kind of one of the verses that he really put on my heart was 1 Corinthians 9, 16, and it says, I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So I was um, in kind of like year 11, sixth form at this time, and me and my friend just had a real heart to see people in our school um, come to Christ. So she was, um, is pretty, um, pretty bold character, and when me and her got together, we're like, come on! <laughs> So we're like, right, what we're going to do? And we were like, prayer, walk the school. We set up, a, <laughs> we didn't do things by halves. We set up a CU and it was great. We used to invite some um, really amazing speakers to come in. And we'd like literally run around the school telling people they needed to come in this classroom now because we're going to hear something really exciting. Well, I think one day we had about, we had the hall filled, the big hall filled. And we had um, someone there and they were kind of doing stuff. And then they like shared the gospel at the end. And it was great. We had a 350, 400 teenagers hear the gospel. So God just put a real desire in my heart from like that first thing of knowing Jesus and kind of showing me what he wanted me to do. 
But as you know, when God puts something on your heart, he doesn't kind of give you, all right, this is what you're going to do, and then you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this. He kind of says, shows you something, and then you're like this. Uh-huh. And then he shows you the next thing. He never kind of gives you it all at once. And I want to kind of share with you this morning some of the journey that God has taken me on in my life, in my ministry, and the things that he has taught me through some really difficult times um, that I want to share with you. So after I left school, I went and I did um, a gap year down in Bristol. I went and I was part of this year uh, at a place called NGM, New Generation Ministries, and I went there and I did some, uh, did some dancing, did a bit of communication. And you know what? God taught me so many lessons that year about being a servant. So I had this like little dance, had this dance team, and I was always the one with my other tall friends stuck at the back, while the short people were at the front getting all the glory. We were like the lanky bonds at the back who couldn't get to the floor as quick, always getting told off, telling them that we, were, we weren't quite up to scratch. And uh, they like went off around the country on this tour, and me and my friend were left on what I like to refer to as bin bag ministry. So we were left cleaning toilets, doing dry cleaning, cleaning the windows. And I just remember thinking, God, this is not what I signed up for. I thought this was going to be like really exciting. And here I am getting to do this stuff and everyone's going to do all these exciting things. And I'm getting people's dry cleaning and cleaning toilets and emptying bins. And, and I really felt like God said to me, John, I'm training you. I am training you. And if you get a good attitude while you've got bin bag ministry, then you'll have a good attitude when I actually give you something better to do. I was like, okay. So after I left that year, I went to um, London Bible College. It's now got a classier name. It's called London School of Theology. But when I was there, it was London Bible College, also known as London Bridal College. So I was there for two years doing um, Christian ministry. And I knew it was where God sent me, but I found it quite hard to be there. I was frustrated. I just couldn't stand to spend another day in the library. I just wanted to get out and do something. But I knew it was part of my journey of where God wanted me to be at that time. So I was up in North London. Jeff at this point was down in South London, um, living with some friends in a band running a business. And um, after my second year, we, I was graduating. I said, I can't stand to do a third year. And I just felt like God said, OK, fine. You can go, you can do that. So um, I had absolutely no idea what I was going to do next. So I was 21, I needed to earn some money. I had a ridiculous rent to pay in London. I had no idea what I was going to do. And I just want, literally wanted to open up the paper and someone go, here's a job, you can preach every day and we'll pay you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't get those kinds of jobs in the paper. I thought, well, I don't want to be a vicar. I, don't, <laughs> I know they get to preach a lot, I don't want to be a vicar. And I just didn't know what to do. And I sat down and I prayed with Jeff and he prayed for me and he said, I feel like God says that you need to chase after the wind. <laughs> Excellent. God, could you be a little tiny bit more prescriptive about what you want me to do? Anyway, I remembered, um, I remembered someone I chatted to a few months earlier at a party and it was um, a guy who lived down in South London and he worked for a charity called Spinnaker Trust and it was a school's charity and it kind of took my interest a little bit because I liked doing a little bit of school's work and um, he just came to my mind I thought I feel like I just need to ring this Spinnaker Trust so I literally rang them up, introduced myself and asked them if I had any jobs <laughs> and they said um, 
might possibly have something coming up, send us your CV. So I hung the phone up and thought, I've never written a CV in my life. So I started trying to put this kind of CV together. I sat and I thought, what spinnaker? What a weird name. So I looked it up and it said, um, a little boat that chases after the wind. <laughs> so I rang Jeff up all excited and he goes, well, do you know, I did have a picture of a little boat, but I didn't mention it because I thought it sounded really cheesy and cliched. I was like, okay. So anyway, I went and worked for Spinnaker and I worked for um, them kind of like half my hours a week and I worked for a church in South London, half my hours a week doing children's work, a little bit of youth work and it, it was good. God carried on teaching me but it, it still kind of wasn't the thing. I knew it wasn't the thing but I knew God was using it and I knew that I just had to stay faithful. I had so much kind of frustration in those years. I didn't like living in London. I wanted to be back up in the northeast. It was lonely. It was expensive. Um, it was just a really, really hard season in my life. And I just kept God over and over and over and over again, just kept saying to me, if you are faithful in the small, then I will give you the big. If you are faithful in the small, then I will give you the big. And you know, God is so much more bothered about our character than what we can do. We can, have, we can be multi-talented, we can be multi-gifted, but do you know what? God looks at our heart and he wants to see someone whose heart is for him, no matter what the season is and no matter what he gives us to do. So if you're in that place, you think, do you know what? I just can't stand this another day. Stick at it and keep faithful because God's timings are absolutely perfect in your life. And he is working on your heart and it's our heart that we need to submit to him. So kind of being in this job about three and a half years and Jeff and I both sense God was saying it's kind of time you can, you can go, you can go back up to the northeast. And I am, um, we really wanted to have um, a baby at this time. And again, I got pregnant twice and both those times I had miscarriage. And that was, for me now looking back, it was kind of a long time ago and I feel like God's taken me out of that. But I just really felt like God wanted me to share that this morning. I remember how incredibly hard that was and how heartbroken I was. But God gave me um, a really amazing promise. And I remember lying kind of on my floor in my bedroom one day. And it was this. It says, Isaiah 43 verse 1 says, But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned by you by name, and you are mine. And it goes on to talk about walking through the waters, and you're not drowned, and walking through the fire, and not burn. I knew that that was a promise from God speaking to me, that I would have a child, and I clearly did. And uh, that's why I called Jacob. Jacob, he was, kind of, he was my promise from God. So here I am, leaving London. I am, thankfully, now pregnant, believing trust in God that this is the one that he's got for us to have and um, I didn't again didn't have a job Jeff had got a job up here but it was really really badly paid I needed a job and I can't remember thinking oh I just started looking for a job and I thought oh, I could apply for that or I could apply for that and they were kind of just like secular youth work jobs but something in me just said that's not what I've made you for that's not what I've made you for just give it up don't look anymore I was like, right. And the kind of the time was like ticking. 
for us to leave. We needed to be back up here in the August, and I think it was probably about July, and a friend of mine rang me up, and she said, I know somebody who wants to speak to you um, because she wants to know if you want a job. And I was like, all right, what does she do? She said, oh, she's a children's worker at a church um, over in um, Rollins Gill. I was like, all right. And part of me thought, children's worker again, Lord. (laughs) Which is great if you're called to it. But I just didn't feel called to it, but I felt called to ministry, and that was what God kept asking me to do. So I moved up here. And it was a great job for me to have. It was a really, really good job. And it was totally what God led me to do. And I did that for a few years. And I had Jacob. And then I got pregnant again with Isaac. And I was kind of getting to this point in my job where I just felt like it just didn't fit anymore. Like I just couldn't keep wearing what I was wearing. And I couldn't describe it. And I kind of got to this point. There was nothing wrong with the job. It was what God was doing in me. He was stirring something in me. And I just thought something's just got to change. And I went to this conference. Uh, It was a children's conference. And I just thought, I just don't fit here. This is just not what God has called me to do. This is not my passion. This is not my calling. And I went up to get prayer. And I thought, it's really weird. I go for prayer at a children's conference because I don't want to be a children's worker. <laughs> and I got up there. And this lady prayed for me. And she said, I've, she says, I've got a picture. And it's of two parallel paths. And you're on one. And you want to be on the other. And God says, you just need to jump. <laughs> Thanks. And we've got this, um, we quite often have a little phrase that um, John, I think it was John Wimber who said it, I might be completely misquoting, but faith is spelled R-I-S-K. So I went away and I left that conference and I went on maternity leave, so that was fine because I didn't actually have to go to work and I was getting paid anyway. And I kind of got to the end of the maternity leave and I thought, oh, I'll just go back to work again. And one day I was up a stepladder, as you do, in the kitchen painting the wall listening to um, a talk by Joyce Meyer, who I love to listen to. I don't know if anyone else listens to her. Anyone listen to her? So I was up this ladder, painting away, and she started talking about when God told her to give up a, give up a full-time job to go into full-time ministry. I was like, uh. and I just felt like the Holy Spirit was like, Whoa. I got off, I got down from the ladder. <laughs> well, I think it might have been a bit dangerous. Probably must have put the paintbrush somewhere and just lay on the kitchen floor, kind of having this complete moment with God and I just knew that was what God was telling me that I had to do and I was just like so I had this moment with God went out that night for a drink with my friend and I was decided I was not going to talk about it I wasn't going to mention it and then she just started asking me questions and then I just started talking about it I was like oh now I've talked about it someone knows about it so now I'm gonna have to do it and we prayed and I felt like kind of my life was just like this cliff and my toe was like here and I was like going like this. And God just wanted me just to take this next massive step into the completely and utterly unknown. So I went home and Jeff was sitting with his feet on the coffee table watching Match of the Day. And I went in and, he, and I just went, hiya. And he just went, hi. I looked at him and went, what? I went, nothing. He goes, no, you've got something to tell me. What is it? I can't relax now. What is it? I said, um... Just tell me we're not moving to Africa. I went, not going to Africa. I was right, fine, sit down. What do you want to tell me? <laughs> it's got a major thing about moving to Africa. <laughs> so I uh, sat down, told him, he was like, right, okay. We didn't get any sleep that night. <laughs> well, I think I slept and Jeff just wrestled. 
I think it got about two o'clock in the morning, he just went, oh, I just want some sleep. Just give up your job. I've had enough. <laughs> so it kind of got to the next day, and I woke up, and I felt like, kind of like one of those like little sheep, little lambs like out in the field, like a little skip. And then part of me also felt, oh, my goodness me. How am I going to like have anything if I don't go to work? I'm going to have no money. And all this like reality, boom, kept, like playing round and round and round my head. It's like, how am I going to tell my family? Yeah, I've given up my job. It's really easy. It's pretty well paid, but I just thought I'd give it up. What are you going to do? I haven't got a clue. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It's kind of advice that you would give anybody. So I did. I gave up my job and I spent six weeks... So I spent six weeks sitting on my sofa, but that sounds really bad. I didn't. I spent six weeks kind of praying, and I remember sitting on my sofa, and I felt like God said to me, what I already knew he wanted me to do was speak. He said, I want you to speak, and I want you to speak specifically to women. I was like, right. I was like, great. How? And God said, feed them. I was like, okay. Do a breakfast. I was like, all right, Lord. So I went back to the church we were at um, and I started doing a breakfast. And um, didn't really have anyone to help me out of this breakfast. So you know those people you see when they play about five instruments and they like tap the foot and tap the hand and like jig at the same time and all the instruments go? That was me. So I was like buying the breakfast, serving the breakfast, setting up the breakfast, packing away the breakfast, preaching in the middle, leading ministry time and cleaning up afterwards. I'm paying for it. I was like... This is seriously hard work, God. I was like, who can I get to come and help me with this breakfast? So my lovely friend Catherine, who's here today, she came on board and she started doing the, doing, um, the chopping and the serving and the whatnot alongside me. And then someone else came alongside me and we kind of ran this breakfast and it was great. But I'm one of those people, I, I never settle. I'm always like, what's next, God? What's next? Where's this going? What's happening here? So I kept pushing and pushing and pushing and kind of looking for like new ways to do this. And I was getting frustrated because I felt like nothing was kind of growing. We always kind of had the kind of the same number. And I was like, there's more, there's more, Lord. What is it? How do I go about it? And again, God was carrying on working on my character and teaching me to be patient and be faithful in the small. And I will give you the big. That's just like, it should be tattooed on my head, really. So I was. I was faithful and I carried on doing the breakfast and still kind of underlying going, a little growl underneath the surface. And um, I got to December 2012 and we decided that it was time to kind of move on from our church and we started um, going to um, Tyneside Vineyard and we really, really loved it. We got involved in the vineyard and it got to like kind of about eight, ten months later and I was sitting one day and I had I'd written three Beloveds, that is the name of the ministry. I haven't even mentioned it, have I? But I started doing Beloved. Beloved of the Lord, rest secure in him. I had three Beloveds and they were kind of advertised. They were out there on this leaf. And I'd done two of them and I had one left. And I thought, and I was sitting, I was talking to God. I was at my parents' house and I just remember talking to God and I felt like God said, you need to lay down Beloved. And I was like, what? You need to lay down Beloved. I was like, what do you mean to lay down Beloved? It was your idea in the first place. So me and God had this chat, you know, you think you must have misheard God or he must not quite have the right idea. So me and God had this chat and I went, God, I've got a flyer out. I can't put, I've got a flyer out. God's just like, forget the flyer. You just, just don't, you're not, you're not, just lay it down. I was like, okay. So 
I went to our church and I um, spoke to our senior pastor and I just said, this is what I feel God's called me to do. He's told me to lay it, that's what he said. I didn't actually say the next part of the sentence. God said, lay it down. I want you to invest in the vineyard. I was like, okay. So I went and I said, God's told me that I need to invest in the vineyard. Don't quite know what that means, but what do you want me to do? And she said, hmm, I'll come back to you. So I waited about five weeks, month, I can't remember. But it wasn't immediate. And she said, I've been praying about it. And what I really feel like God wants you to do is he wants you to do beloved. I was like, okay. <laughs> but he wants you to do it under the wing of the vineyard. She goes, we're going to support you and we're going to invest in you. And that's what, that's what he wants you to do. So I kind of spent another year doing that and kind of building a team and that kind of thing. And it was much better, much improved. I felt like my little happy box was like getting somewhere with this. We're moving somewhere on this very long journey. And uh, kind of this, this internship came up at church and I kind of felt a little bit old to do an internship. And I also didn't want to do any of the things on the list for the internship. But something inside me went, you need to do the internship. And I was like, so I, kept, I thought, oh, I might actually get paid for once. This is exciting. So bear in mind, I hadn't been paid for about four years. And um, I hadn't actually mentioned as well, during that time when I gave my job up, it was a seriously hard season for us financially. It was such a hard season. And um, when I gave my job up, we basically didn't have any money apart from to pay our bills and food. That was it. There was no money for anything else. And sometimes God just really took us to the edge of trusting him. We had all, obviously you have like your car breaks down, our central heating broke down, we had all these things. And uh, sometimes people would put envelopes through our door with money in. We had no idea where it came from, but it was the money that we needed at that time for that thing. And I just wanted to encourage you today. I felt like God said, if you're in a season where you think, I'm, I'm in a real financial lack, I felt like God just wants to encourage you just to keep on giving and to keep on being generous because he always provides for us. And I'm just going to put, um, should be a little verse coming up from Kings. God gave me this scripture at the time that I um, started to do in Beloved. And said, and then this happened, it's from um, 1 Kings 17. Then this happened, Elijah the Tishbite came from among the settlers of Gilead, confronted Ahab. As surely as God lives, the God of Israel before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain unless I say otherwise. God then told Elijah, get out of here and fast, head east and hide out at the Kerith Ravine on the other side of the Jordan River. You can drink fresh water from the brook. I've ordered the ravens to feed you. Elijah obeyed God's orders. He went and camped in Kerith Canyon on the other side of the Jordan. And sure enough, the ravens brought him his meals, both breakfast and supper, and he drank from the brook. Eventually, the brook dried up because of the drought. Then God spoke to him, get up and go to Zarephath and Sidon and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. So he got up and went to Zarephath, and he came to the entrance of the village. He met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood. He asked her, Please, would you bring me a little water in a jug? I need a drink. As she went to get it, he called out, And while you're at it, would you bring me something to eat? She said, I swear, as surely as your God lives, I don't have so much as a biscuit. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in the bottle. You found me scratching together, scratching together, just enough firewood to make a last meal for my son and me. After we eat it, we'll die. 
Elijah said to her, don't worry about a thing. Go ahead and do what you've said. But first, make a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. Then go ahead and make a meal from what's left for you and your son. This is the word of the Lord God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land and ends this drought. And she went right off and did it, just as Elijah asked. And it turned out, as he said, daily food for her and her family. The jar of meal didn't run out and the bottle of oil didn't become empty. God's promise fulfilled to the letter exactly as Elijah had delivered it. When I gave up my job, God gave me that scripture and I had to hang on to that promise on those days when I looked at other people who I saw were living in plenty, when I looked at other people out the shops buying nice things, when I looked at other people who could just spend money without thinking about every single pound and I just had to hang on to that promise and sometimes I hung on to that promise with tears and sometimes I hung on to that promise not with the best attitude but you know God didn't keep us in that season forever but he kept us in that season long enough to teach us to trust him financially and sometimes he gives us little flashbacks to that season just to see if we've actually learned that lesson (laughs) so I started um thinking about this internship and uh, there was nothing on the list that I wanted to do but I really felt like I needed to do something so I went to our pastor and I said I really like the look of this internship but I don't actually want to do any of the things that you want the intern to do (laughs) I love the phrase shy Ben's getting out so uh, and he said to me well what do you want to do I said I go away and I'll think about it. He says, just write it, write it down and then fill it out. So, okay, I did. So I wrote on it all the things that I wanted to do. I said, I want to do women's ministry. I want to get to preach. Anyway, lo and behold, they let me have the internship. So that was great. So I kind of spent about six or seven months doing that. And it got to, so that was um, September 2014. Got to about January 2015. And someone mentioned it this morning, talking about a gift of faith. And I felt like God said to me in church one day, I felt like he said, I'm going to give you a gift of faith. And I was like, all right. Didn't seem at the time to me that significant. I was like, okay. And I went away that night and I started reading about what does it mean to have a gift of faith. And I started kind of looking into this gift of faith. And um, it would transpire that in that year that I really, really would need that gift of faith. But at the time, I didn't need it. And you know, you start... Do you ever have this feeling you can sense something coming? Apparently in the um, Boxing Day tsunami in 2004, that even though so many thousands of people were killed by that tsunami, that there wasn't any animals killed? That they sensed it coming and that they'd ran? And I think sometimes God's spirit gives us a sense of things that are coming. And I could sense something was coming. I could sense that there was a kind of a storm brewing, but I didn't know what the storm was. So I did what all good people did and started trying to guess what the storm would be. And I thought, oh, I think it's going to be Jeff's job. I think he's going to be like made un- it's going to get made redundant because he's not been, like work's not been that great recently. I thought, oh, that's what it is. And uh, I just couldn't quite put my finger on it. And then it got to kind of uh, May last year and my son, Isaac, the, um, my, well, he was five then, he started getting headaches and I didn't really think too much about it. I was like, okay. And then he got another headache and I, 
I don't go to the doctor unless with three children unless it's absolutely necessary. So I thought, right, I'm going to go to the doctor and sit in the waiting room with three children. So I went in there and I told him about his headaches. And he said, has he had any other symptoms? I was like, I don't think so. And he said, oh, just, just give him some Calpol. But something inside me just said, don't give him the Calpol. You just keep monitoring the situation. So I um, kept praying about it. and just kept asking God to give me wisdom. And he started getting more and more headaches. And one day I went to, down to my parents' house and I was on my own with the kids. Jeff was, can't remember what he was doing, but he was doing something else. And um, I noticed, we noticed that he kind of been a little bit wobbly, just a tiny bit. I just knew there just wasn't something quite, quite right with him. I went to my parents' house and my mum said to me, what's Isaac doing? He's like walking really strange. And I was like, don't know, I think he's just being daft. And we went out to the park and he climbed up this like 50 foot climbing frame, like quicker than his brother. And then we went back to my parents' house and he just, he started watching a film with Jacob. And then he came out into the garden and he was screaming in pain. And then he was sick everywhere. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I just knew there was some, I knew that there and then I knew there was something seriously wrong with him. So I took him to the doctor, that was Saturday. I thought, I don't really know what to do because it's Saturday. <laughs> And I just thought to myself, what, something seriously wrong with him? I, I, just, I knew, I thought, he's got a brain tumour. So, on the Monday, sorry, it's quite hard been talking about. On the Monday, I took him to the doctor, and she said, she, she could see that there's one right with him, so she sent us up to Durham. We went there, and after sitting around for hours, um, sent us and had a, sent us had a scan, and... Do you know what? As I've reflected on the season of my life, I can literally see God's hand at work. So I was there with just my dad. My dad's not a Christian. Jeff was at work. I was there with him and Isaac. And Isaac went down for this MRI scan and he came back and he knelt. This doctor came and he knelt next to me and he just said, Isaac's got brain tumour and it will be cancerous. And then he said to me, he said, he said, I'm a Christian and I'm going to pray for you tonight. I'm going to get my church to pray for Isaac. And also in that hospital that day was a good friend of ours who I didn't even know worked there who goes to our church and he was there and just having him in the room with us, God had put him in that corridor. He didn't even work with children. He just happened to be there in that corridor on that day. So it was kind of a massive whirlwind. We got packed off in the ambulance. We went over to the RVI and I met Jeff there, and you just, you feel at that point like your entire world is just absolutely, completely tipped upside down. Everything that you thought was going to look a certain way, you think, is it ever going to look that way? What, what is going to happen? And um, Isaac was in surgery the next morning. He was in surgery by nine o'clock in the morning, and that was the worst night of my life, just up all night wondering what was going to happen and um god was already speaking to my heart and he was just speaking like words of faith to my heart and there's so many so many stories that i could tell you about this that i haven't got time to tell you all this morning and i just thought it was just a few things that i wanted to reflect on um isaac had surgery he had the whole of the brain tumor was taken out which was fabulous but um the kind of brain tumor that it was is that it would just literally reproduce itself. I believe God healed Isaac that day, and I believe it wouldn't have done. But obviously, I was going to do what the doctors wanted us to do. And I knew that God was taking us through another season, and that he was going to teach us through the process. And we, um, 
Jeff and I had a word about Nahum. Now, Nahum had leprosy, and he wanted just to go to someone and have it touched, but he was told he had to go in the Jordan River. He didn't want to get in the river. He didn't want to go through that, but he went in the river. He was obedient, and that was how he got his healing. And I felt like God said, I'm going to heal Isaac. I already have healed him, but this is a process that I want you to walk through as a family because I want you to learn from it. I want you to see how much glory you can bring me through what you're going to go through. So Isaac had this tumour removed and we were told that he would need, that he would need um, seven weeks of radiotherapy. So he had the tumour taken out and we had about three or four weeks and when he came home he couldn't walk. He was like literally would crawl and then he... Then he got strong, he could pull himself up on the furniture. And we'd have to carry him up and down the stairs. It was so hard from going having a child who could like run around riding a bike doing this to being like a baby again. But he, got, he gradually got stronger and he had such an amazing attitude. It's such an amazing attitude. He had to go to the Freeman Hospital every day with summer holidays, except the weekend, plus another week afterwards. I'd be put under general anaesthetic every morning and then have radiotherapy. And do you know what? God was so amazing. We, I thought, oh, this is going to be absolutely horrendous. And I'm telling you, it was so hard. It was so hard. But he used to put on, he used to put a different fancy dress outfit on <laughs> nearly every day. And he would run, by this point he could run, and he would run through all the adult patients who were sitting there waiting for their treatment. He'd run through as like Superman, Indiana Jones, <laughs> Spider-Man, Colacini with his big black curly wig on, his football strip. And he just had such a fab attitude. And even in that time, we were still able to do some fun stuff as a family. Like, I thought Isaac would just be being sick all afternoon. And there was only one time when he was sick in that radiotherapy. And God gave me such an amazing promise. He said to me, when he goes in that radiotherapy, it's going to be like the Daniel when he went in the fiery furnace. He said, not even a hair on his head, it's going to be damaged. And that was such an amazing promise because you are given this whole list of side effects of what these medicines can do, will, can do to your child. And I just held on and I held on and I held on to that promise. So we went through the radiotherapy. We had about a month and Isaac went back to school. He was probably in school about three days out of five. In that month, he was doing, doing really well. Obviously, it was very hard seeing him lose his hair. He started to look like an ill child and that was really difficult. Um, and then he had 16 weeks of chemotherapy from, he started in October and he finished in January. And the first time we were in hospital for 19 nights, that was really, really difficult because he was high dose, he had to be treated on the ward. And then after that, it's all kind of blood transfusions, injections, I became an expert in things I never even knew existed. And then he had three more rounds after that. And I just remember and this was something I really felt like God wanted me to share. Got to December, and I kind of like I was on this I was on this journey of faith. And you know, some days were just ridiculously hard, and other days were okay. I think my birthday was the worst day of my life, <laughs> one of them anyway, because Isaac had to have a feeding tube put down his nose, and it was just awful. And I just I remember I walked around Newcastle, and I just wanted I just, I just wanted to cry, but I knew God was with me. And I suppose that is my testimony of that season, that God, was, that God, he is with us, whatever season we go through, and he walks with us. And it got to December, and I remember feeling really, had this couple of days, and I just felt really downhearted. Kind of everyone was like, Christmas! And I was thinking, I don't even know if I'm actually going to be 
at home at Christmas. I don't know if I'm going to be on a ward at Christmas. I don't know where I'm going to be. I don't know if we're going to get out of hospital in time. And I was sitting on my bed and I was, um, I was crying. And I was praying with Jeff. And God gave me this most beautiful picture. And he gave me a picture of um, a pink rose. And that is my kind of symbol for beloved. The rose of Sh- beloved. You are my rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. And he gave me this picture of a pink rose, and I knew it was him. I knew it represented him. And I saw myself in the RVI hospital, and I saw myself on the ward. I saw myself on the day unit. I saw myself in the corridor. I saw myself walking beside a trolley with Isaac on it. I saw myself everywhere that I'd been, and I just saw Jesus with me. And I just felt like God said, I've been with you everywhere that you've been, and I've held your hand and I've held your heart. And I was just overwhelmed with how much God loved me. And there's a verse, and I've had to really, it's one of my favorite verses, and it really encouraged me. It's um, Romans 15, 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you put the next bit of the passage from Kings on, please? Thank you. So God gave me this verse during kind of the last year. It says, And sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down for the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. And I thought it was so amazing. I love how God works. That he'd given me the start of that passage for one season of my life. And he gave me the end of that passage for another season of my life. And I just knew God said, your son's going to live your son's going to live and you need to live like your son's going to live because there's no guarantees but for I have to live and walk out it's my walk of faith I need to live like my son is going to live I need to live in that trust in God there's a verse in Hebrews it's Hebrews 11 17 to 19 it says this by faith Abraham when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And when I read that, I was like, God just went into my heart. And I felt like he said, I told you, call Isaac Isaac I told you to call Isaac Isaac it's symbolic of who he is you've laid him on the altar before me 
And God told me to leave beloved on the altar before him. And God has taken both those things and he's brought them back to life. And if God is, if we carry something too close to our heart, it becomes an idol in our life. And God doesn't want to have those idols because he wants us to be free. We need, sometimes we need to give things over to God. We need to lay it down and we need to trust him enough that he's big enough and good enough to do what he needs to do with those things. And I feel like that the enemy wants us to lose heart. He wants us to be downhearted. He wants us to be discouraged. He wants us not to fellowship. He wants us not to worship. He wants us to give up on the dreams that God's put inside of us. And I really believe this morning that, well, I know that God has put a God-given dream in all of us. It doesn't look the same. Your dream isn't my dream. My dream isn't your dream. But he has called you for a reason and for a purpose. And he knew you before the creation of the world. And he's got a plan for you. And he wants you to engage and say, Lord, what is the plan that you've got for my life? What does that look like? What are those steps, spelled R-I-S-K, that I need to be taking? What do you want me to do, Lord? And maybe for some of us, we've got things in our life that we need to lay on the altar before God so that we're free to be able to do that, to keep on walking after him and seeing where he's taking us. I just want to finish with this scripture. Should we just close our eyes and I'll read it to you? It's Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Um, I didn't quite get to the end of my little thing about my internship. <laughs> so I did my internship. And it's, I basically haven't been to work for 10 months. I've been looking after Isaac um, full time. <coughs> it's only in the last four weeks that I've gone back to work. <coughs> and it was really amazing because in that time when I wasn't even there um I was asked to be the assistant pastor which for me was just like wow that is amazing so that's kind of like where I'm at now on my journey to kind of finish my journey where I am Isaac is doing fabulously he is back at school he has um about that much hair he's got the most amazing eyelashes I'm very very jealous of them they're about twice the length of mine he's got his eyebrows back you don't realize how bizarre you look with no eyebrows and eyelashes until you don't have them so he's got his eyelashes back he's got his eyebrows back <coughs> he's not on any medications he has been doing um since east before east he was doing four days a week after he started going back doing five days a week he's doing really really well um and now he just needs to be scanned like every four months to keep a check on everything going on. So, 
yeah, thank you for listening. I hope you've uh, been encouraged. Yeah.